Adam and, and his father Alex, his life, great pastors, great men of the Lord who love you and seek to serve you with their life. I just pray, God, at this time that your spirit would come upon me and that you would anoint me, that you would fill me and that you would speak through me and that you would uh, open hearts and minds to receive all that you have to say to them. So bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Good morning. Uh, For about a year before I went on the mission fields in Spain, I spent that time with my uh, one going on two-year-old nephew, and I was a manny, which is a male nanny. Um, had a good time, you know, loved it. Uh, but one of the things I loved to do with my nephew is I loved to take him, I loved to put him on my lap and just read the Bible to him. And from the ages of one to two, if you don't know, they don't sit very still, you know, very long. And so what he would do is he would make all kinds of weird noises and he would, you know, he'd be, he'd be crumpling the pages and, you know, drooling everywhere and... And, you know, it could be frustrating, just to be honest with you, it could be frustrating, but, but I fought through the frustration because I saw it as beneficial. I saw it as beneficial to be able to pour into my nephew the word of God that never returns void. And through all of that frustration, the, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Jimmy, how long do you sit still before me? Are you able to just sit there and not fidget? Or are you sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder what the score of the Yankee game is? I wonder, you know... I don't think so. You have a lot of trouble with this as well. So take it easy on him, you know? And so I'm just like, all right, cool, you know? I learned a, a big lesson there. Um, and at this current time, my relationship with the Lord is flourishing. I'm really doing good in my relationship with the Lord. And, and over these last couple of years, really, it's been a very trying time in my life, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it's been difficult on the mission field. You know, you, you miss your family. You miss friends. You miss things that are familiar to you. Um, You come to a place where you can feel very spiritually dry, which I'm sure a lot of you can relate to, where you're down and out. Maybe some of you are spiritually depressed. And we face these difficulties as Christians. Um, I was very, very close at one point to to just packing it up and quitting ministry. I just figured, I don't don't really want to do this anymore. I could do this in California. Um, I'm going home, you know, but, uh, but the Lord never allowed me to do such a thing. As much as there are times where I was just so close and so ready to do it, I didn't. And, and let me tell you what I've learned through these experiences. Um, one thing that I learned that, that I've always known it here, right? But it's different when you know it here and then you know it experientially. And, and one of the things I learned is that I am nothing without God. That, that I, that we as Christians, we can't do Christianity without the grace of God. Without the Spirit of God empowering us to do it. That the joy of the Lord really is our strength. And it's not just a verse somewhere in the Psalms. But it really is. And there are certain attitudes that an individual displays when they aren't spending the proper time with the Lord. And so we're going to look at some of the things. Obviously that, that list can be very exhaustive, but... We're going to look at some of the things, a few things in the life of a woman named Martha in Luke chapter 10 that we can benefit from, that we can learn from. And so, before I point this out, um, you know, 
the things that I do point out, they can be found in the life of the believer, whether you're on mission here in Cathedral City or whether you're on mission in, in Mallorca, Spain. And so as I do, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So straight away we learn in this story that there are three characters. You've got Martha, you've got Mary, and you've got Jesus. And we're not quite told exactly when this friendship came about and how it came about. But what we do know is that Jesus and the disciples, they had a good relationship with Martha and Mary. And before I go down and point out these three flaws in Martha's life, let me just say that Martha was a God-fearing, God-loving woman. So this is in no way me trying to like, oh, Martha, oh, she was an idiot. You know, no, that's not what I'm saying. Martha was a great woman who loved Jesus. I mean, we, she, just inv- she has the gift of hospitality. She's inviting Jesus and all of his dirty followers into his house. You know what I mean? So it's like she had that gift. And what would you be doing? I'm, telling you, I'm sure you guys would have been running home to vacuum and clean the toilets and get the steaks ready. You know what I mean? She, the, God is coming to your house. All right? So we can understand why she was busy in the kitchen. Okay, and, and so, with that said, um, you know, we, we also learn in John chapter 9, the Gospel of John, that the religious leaders had put out this proclamation that anybody who had dealings with Jesus was going to be excommunicated. And not even this stopped Martha from inviting him into her house. Two chapters later, in John chapter 11, we find that, that the story of Lazarus, where Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, and, and what do we learn from that? We learn that before any of the 12 disciples who were with Jesus all the time said it, Martha claimed Jesus to be the Son of God. This was a godly woman who loved Jesus, but now, for the sake of this study, we're going to look at three areas of her life in which we can learn from, we can benefit from, and would help us in our growth with the Lord. And the first thing is distraction. The first thing we can learn from Martha is distraction, being distracted. There are so many distractions in the world that we live in that keep us from the feet of Jesus. In verse 38 it says, Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she and her sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. How many of you guys knew that you could be distracted with serving? That good things can keep you from the best thing. I remember when Adam came out and he shared at the retreat in Spain on the other side of the island, secluded beach. It's amazing. You guys should come out now. It's a fun time. Um, and he was sharing on Jesus, the person of Christ. And, and after each session he did, we went off and we spent an hour alone with the Lord and just, just seeking the Lord. And, and I can remember a specific time where I was sitting on a rock and I'm sitting there, and I'm just trying to seek the Lord. And, and there's, I'm just like, you know, you know, doing this thing. And there's just gnats all around me. And I'm, I'm batting them away. 
You know, I got one of them in an arm bar. No, I'm just kidding. But there are gnats everywhere, right? And, and I'm just sitting. And for a half hour, a half an hour, I'm sitting there swatting gnats. And all of a sudden, I felt the Lord still small voice speak to my heart and say, why don't you just get up and move? That, that seems pretty practical, you know? I was like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. So I moved 10 feet away and no gnats. And it was great. And sometimes that all, that's all it takes. There are so many distractions, so many gnats in our life that keep us from the feet of Jesus. And sometimes all it takes is getting up and moving, removing yourself from a situation, getting away from it. The enemy, if he can't stop you from becoming a Christian, he'll do everything in his power to make you an ineffective one. And so he'll send the distractions. What gnats are keeping you from the Lord's feet? Is it the opposite sex? You know, for you younger people, it's, you know, boy crazy and girl crazy and all that's on the mind is boys and girls. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that because we need that for marriage and reproduction. And, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But, but the problem is, is when you're consumed with it and it's all you think about and it takes precedence over God. What about ambition? Ambition can become a distraction where we're, we're seeking and we're trying and we're, we're trying to get ahead and, and at any cost. We just want to get ahead. And, and we chase that carrot and eventually we get that carrot, right? And then we realize that that didn't fulfill us. That didn't satisfy us. I can go on stories and stories of, of people who became world champions at things and people who became the best at what they did and yet in the end, without Christ, they still were empty. Things don't fulfill us. Things don't satisfy. I heard a quote once. I don't know who said it, and so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, You never see a U-Haul connected to a hearse. Why? Because you don't take anything with you when you die. The only thing that matters is Jesus. What about entertainment? Now, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. Let me just say that, all right? Let's preface it that way. Well, but what about entertainment? Can that be a distraction to us? It is to me from time to time. You know, there was a time in between semesters when I had more time on my hands out in Spain where I was watching so many episodes of 24 that I became Jack Bauer. You know what I'm saying? I, had, I even have the, 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 the 24 ringtone on my iPhone back in Spain. And it's like, is 24 evil or a sin? No. But when you're watching nine episodes a day, maybe it could be a distraction. Maybe it's a little weight. You know what I'm saying? But So we need to, to, to take inventory in our life. We can go from TV to video games to movies to home to watch the, the nightly news and then to bed. And then we wake up and do it all over again. And, and Jesus gets lost somewhere in the shuffle. And, and, and oftentimes I find that if he's not the first thing in the day, he's not even the last. And so... You know, there's, there's just so many gadgets. Even my iPhone, man, it's like every five minutes I'm checking my mail. I put it away. Oh, somebody might have, technically, they could have emailed me. And, it, and it's just like, seriously? There are things that can distract us from the Lord, and, and we need to take inventory. And, you know, I'm easily distracted. I, I confess that. I can literally, I can sit on a couch and I can just stare at curtains. And I can do that. And I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, I'd rather watch paint dry than, than read my Bible. It, I'm just confessing. It's sad, but it's true. That, you know, I'm lazy. The question is, what do you do about it? Sometimes you just need to get up off the couch and take a walk with the Lord. 
talk with the Lord. Because some of us, we're like my nephew. We just can't sit still. And we fidget. And we just need to get up and do something. Walk with them. Talk with them. I used to love the times in, in, when I lived in Southern California and, and was able to just run to the beach and just look at the stars and the moon and just sit on the beach and, and worship the Lord for His creation. But you know what? You turn your head the other direction and you see the houses and the cars and, the, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but you see how easily they can distract us. And distractions we face are many. They're many, but none of them, not one of them, Health, money, property, rank, prosperity, authority, not one of them can be considered needful. Martha was missing it. Mary was getting it. You know, Martha, she was in the kitchen. She was probably cooking up something really good, probably smelled really good. But what Jesus was cooking up in the living room was going to last an eternity, and Mary knew that. So again, in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And you just got, you got to get the scene here. You know what I mean? You got, you got Jesus, you got God, he's sitting in your living room teaching a Bible study, right? And distractions in a Bible study are bad enough. But when somebody specifically just walks into the middle of the room and, and you're in there, you're, you're attentive, you're taking notes, you're hanging on every word. And here comes Martha. Excuse me, Lord? Um, what is she doing? Seriously? I'm, I'm in here. I'm scrubbing pots and pans. And, and she's just sitting there listening to you. What are you? And you're thinking, who in the world? Hog tire and throw her in the closet. You know what I mean? You're, what does she do? She's interrupting Jesus. She's interrupting Jesus. You know, and let me just, Jesus didn't come to their house because he heard that Martha made the best flaffles or shawarmas. He came there for a purpose. And Mary knew that. Mary knew Jesus wouldn't be walking the earth very long. And she was doing the thing that was more needful. You know, Martha, she wasn't really what we would call the flexible type. She was, a, you know, one of those note-taker, drill sergeant types. And, and maybe that's you. And that, that's, that's a good thing. You know, there's, there's a place for that in the body of Christ. But we need to balance that with what Mary was doing. You see, because Mary wasn't lazy. It says that she left her in the kitchen to go sit at Jesus' feet. She had priorities. She knew what was more important. I just love how she's, she's no longer Mary. She's sister. Jesus, sister? She's getting the kid. You know what I mean? It's, Martha begins to complain. And that's the second flaw that we can learn from. That is like one of my giant pet peeves. I have a lot of pet peeves I was sharing with the youth. And, um, and that's one of them. And I'm like the biggest complainer. I think a lot of my pet peeves have to do with the fact that I am what I have pet peeves. And, and complaining is one of them. But we do it, and I'm just going to speak specifically about the church, right? We complain a lot in the church, and we complain about the stupidest stuff. It's like, they painted the walls. I don't like the color. I don't like it. Seriously? White? Couldn't we have, you know, I'm leaving the church. I'm going to really pray about leaving the church. Seriously? You're going to leave the church because the walls are white. You know, chairs. You guys have beautiful blue chairs. In Mallorca, we have ugly chairs, okay? And they're brand new. It's not even like they're outdated. We bought them new. And the guy who bought them, he bought bright orange. They look like rotten pumpkins. You know, it's like bright orange. Who buys bright orange chairs? And I'm sitting there thinking, why? You know, but 
But then there's a, a sick part of me that was just like, you know, this is going to be a good lesson we're going to be able to teach some people who are complaining about the chairs. Because people complain. And people did. Orange? You got to be kidding. You know? Who cares? It's not about chairs or walls. It's about Jesus. Worship is another one. I'm just going to go on this right now, you know, because I'm, I'm in the mood. But worship is another one. We complain. Worship's not even for you. It's not even about you. Nobody cares how you sing. It's about Jesus, and he's the one we're singing to, right? And, and I fell victim. You know, when I got to Mallorca, it was, I'm just going to say it. There, were, there was a lot of old people there, and, and I was one of the, the youngest people, and I was thinking, oh, this is cool. But then I got there, and, and don't get me wrong, I love old people. I'm going to be old one day. And... Hopefully, if the Lord wills it. But, you know, I remember being in church there, and, and it was just hymn after hymn and old songs that, that had born-on dates from the 1800s. And I was thinking, can we get something maybe a little bit more contemporary? Is there a chorus to this thing? No hook, nothing? They're just, okay. And in my heart, it was not good. And the Lord had to deal with me. And now I think hymns are incredibly beautiful. I love hymns. They're so deep and theological. But then you've got the other side of it, and you've got the older people who are looking at the younger people and saying, that song, you've got to be kidding me. How many times are they going to say, here I am to work? It's like, you know, isn't there any more substance to this? You're going to be the one who gets to heaven, and you're going to see the angels going around the throne. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy is it. And you know, they do this for eternity, and they've been doing it for eternity, and they're going to continue to do it for eternity. And you're going to be sitting there going, Seriously? There's, there's nothing more to that song. These guys, this is getting old. But you know what? God likes it. How do you like that, huh? And it's for Him and it's about Him. And we complain about so many stupid things. Let me, you know what? I'm going to continue going on this one more time. Just one more thing. I got this. Somebody gave this to me at our church over there. I thought it was funny, so I printed it out. And I'm going to give my running commentary as I read it. She gave it to me. And, and um, it, it, the name of the poem is called, It's Not the Same Anymore. Okay? They've brought you up to date, Lord, down at St. Cecilia's, wherever that is. They've pensioned off the organ, and they're praising with guitars. God forbid. They've done it with, for the young ones. We want to draw them in, but I do wish they could worship without such a din. I don't know what that means. For I'm growing rather deaf, Lord. And when there's all that noise, it gets so very hard, Lord, to hear your loving voice. They've written brand new hymns, Lord. It's because God says, sing to me a new song. With tunes that I don't know, so hardly, I hardly ever sing now, though I did live singing so. My mind, not quite so agile as it was some years ago, I miss the age-old beauty of the words I used to know. It's very clear to me, Lord... I've overstayed my time. I don't take to change so kindly as I did when I was in my prime. But it can be very long now before I'm called above. It can't be very long now before I'm called above. And I know I'll find you there, Lord, and glory in your love. So till then, I'll stick it out here. Thanks. Though it's not the same for me. But while others call you, you, Lord, do you mind if I say thee? Yeah, we do, okay? Because we don't live in England. It's, it, but it's, it's this kind of stuff where it's like, well, I'm, I'm tired of this. You know, and I understand that more young people are coming into it. We complain about everything. And this is what Martha's doing here. It's just like, 
she's, she's listening to Jesus, and you're complaining about that. That's not really, you know, that's not a good thing. You know, the problem can occur in our lives when, when God's doing something great in someone else's life, and their life is going great, and in our life, things aren't so great. Things aren't very rosy. Our lot in life is not looking too well, and so what we do is we look at them, and then, and then that complaining becomes judging. We get so focused on what God's doing in someone else's life that we fail to see what He's doing in our own. It's the doorway to things like jealousy and envy. And for some of you, it may come in the form of, um, why am I not married yet? Seriously? Look at her. I'm way more spiritual than her. And she's married? Uh, That guy got the promotion? Seriously, I've been here. I've been here way longer than that guy. I put in way more work than that guy. God, you seeing this? I can't believe this. This is crazy. You sleeping up there? What's going on here? Why am I not a homeowner yet? I can't believe it. Peggy Sue just bought a home, and she's got a sea view. I'd do way more for the kingdom of God than you, Jesus. Well, you know, I'm, I'm still an usher, God. And um, that guy up there, that, that boy, uh, he's up there teaching the Bible. And, I, you know, I'd kind of like to be uh, a pet. Why did you ordain Jimmy, Lord? I mean, just, can I just be blunt with you, you know? And we start, I don't even know why I did a southern accent <laughs> in a Spanish church, but... Um, you know, whatever. Just going with it. But, but it's that kind of thing where, where not only do we become judgmental, but then, then because we're, we're, our heart's disposition is that way, we aren't rejoicing with those who rejoice. We're too self-focused. Remember what, what Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21. He's, he's talking with Peter. He's walking with Peter. And he tells Peter how Peter's going to die. And that's not very comforting. But... But Peter's like, he's like looking around, he sees the Apostle John following them, and he, and he says, well, what about him, Lord? What's going on with this guy? How's he going to die? And Jesus said, what's it to you? If, if I will it that he's here till I come back, what's it to you? You follow me, he says to him. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? Verse 41 And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Many things. And that's the third thing. Jesus, the discerner of hearts, knew that Martha was worried and troubled. Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Worried means to be pulled in all different directions. And troubled is just like in modern English, crabby. She's just all over the place. You know, she's there. The Bible says she's banging pots and pans open in cupboards. trying to. You know, she's just not in a good mood right now. Right? She's worried and troubled, and Jesus deals with this issue as he knows what's in her heart. And to be worried and troubled, to be anxious, there's a lot of anxiety that we face. Did you know that anxiety disorders are the the number one mental health illness in the United States? Is anxiety, mental health disorders. Do you know that 40 million, that's 18.1% of adults 18 and over, 40 million Americans are affected by it. The health bill for the United States, last time I checked, was $148 billion. $42 billion was spent on mental health issues, anxiety disorders. What causes anxiety? Well, I wrote some of the things I read down. Constant noise, traffic, Traffic's a biggie for me. I like to take my Christian hat off. 
get out of the way. You know, it's like traffic, holidays, even financial pains, technology, success, all can cause anxiety. How do you know someone's suffering from it? Constant mood swings, it says, angry, depression, exhaustion, stress, mind is everywhere, paranoia, suspicion. That's all good and fine, but what do you do about it, right? Well, let me, let me give you a parallel here. Time Magazine says this. Time Magazine says antidepressants, tranquilizer, tranquilizer, I thought that was for like horses, tranquilizers, yoga, acupuncture, Yoga and acupuncture, that's all I need. It's a bunch of needles in my head, like, you know, repulsing the monkey, fighting my chi. It's like, no, here's what the Bible says. In Philippians, as, as they'll put it up here on the board, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Bible says, here's what we do about anxiety. We rejoice. And you know something that, that I never really noticed about that passage until you, you, you study the original language? When, when, when Paul writes, rejoice. You might be thinking, yeah, well, I'm going through a hard time. It's very easy to say rejoice while I'm going through this hard time. Does he really mean rejoice? Yeah, that's why he put it twice. He put rejoice, and again I say rejoice. That's what we do as Christians. It's not up on the wall, so I'm just going to turn really quick in my Bible there. Unless it comes on the wall before I get there. In Philippians chapter 4, it says... Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Some of us this morning need that peace of God that passes all understanding. Some of us are struggling with the anxieties. I mean, you know what? It's it's strange, but true. But so often we know what to do, but we don't do it. We know that we're to be anxious for nothing. We know that we're, we should be taking it to the Lord's feet, but instead we take it to everybody in the world. We'll talk to unbelievers about it. We'll talk to whoever about it. Like they're going to give us some good advice instead of going and being at the, the feet of Jesus. And you might say, well, you know, that, Jimmy, that sounds too easy, right? That's because it is. It'll never work. Have you tried? I love what Mark Driscoll says. Now, this is a bit extreme, and, and maybe some of you guys will be like, well, okay. Well, Mark Driscoll says, Anxiety is a sin to be repented of, not a condition to be managed. And because Jesus died for sins, we can put anxiety to death. If you think anxiety is in control, you've replaced God. Anxiety is not in control of your life. The Lord is. You may say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. It's not about rejoicing in your circumstances. It's not about that. Nobody's saying, rejoice, you just lost this person. Rejoice, you lost your house. Nobody's saying rejoice in that. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in Jesus. I just had to freak out. Did it help? Don't talk to Jesus until your situation changes. Talk to Jesus until your heart changes. There were many things, Jesus said, that worried Martha and troubled her. But there was one thing that was needful. One thing. Verse 42, he says, But that one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Mary had chosen that good part that would not be taken away from her. The anxieties, the complaining, the judgmental attitude, the distractions that we face, all of these points that we've gone through right here, when we spend time with Jesus... 
we become more like Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, these traits are less likely to rear their ugly heads in our lives. Spending time with Jesus. I want you to understand that the most important thing you can do is, is spend time with Jesus. He wants that. He desires that. Our devotional life is so important to Him. It's so important to us. Because like I said in the beginning, we can't do Christianity without Jesus. We can't do Christianity without the Spirit of God. David said in Psalm 27.4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. It's not talking about a literal house or abode. It's talking about the presence of God. That I may be in the presence of God. To behold His beauty is to to look at intensely, to discover the beauty of Jesus, and to inquire. To inquire is to, to speak to God expectantly, to expect to hear from the Lord. Spending time with the Lord. There's no substitute for quality time with Jesus. Regardless of how huge your problem is, we need to be able to see our big problems here this morning. We need to be able to view them in light of how big our God is. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in the church today is is we have such a small view of God. Because our problems seem so big, so heavy, but we forget that our God is infinitely greater than any problem we can ever face. And I don't care what you're going through, any problem. Our God is bigger, stronger. And yet we tend to point the finger at Him. God, you don't care. He cares. The Bible says, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. We judge Him. You know, Lord, there's people starving in Papua New Guinea. Well, what are you doing about it? We forget that we're not going to be judging God. God is going to be judging us. Whether you like it or not, or whether you believe it or not. He will judge us, and everybody in this room is going to stand before God. One day. And the books will be open, and you'll have nothing to say. You'll have nothing to say. At all. You know, you look at the people in the Bible who have stood face to face with God. Look at Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Taken up into the throne room of God, high and lifted up the Lord as his robe fills the temple. And what did he do? He was undone. He said, Woe is me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He was absolutely ruined in the best way possible at one glimpse of the Lord. What about the Apostle John? The Apostle John was, was Jesus' best earthly friend. Right? And, and then John sees the glorified Christ in Revelation. And what happens to him? He falls on his face as dead. On his face. And Jesus comes to him and says, John, don't be worried. You, you look at the descriptions of heaven and of God in the Bible. And you see Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1. It's like there's colors and there, there's like a rainbow and there's fire. And then down there, it's, there's like, and then there's like fire. And he just doesn't know how to describe God. You see, Revelation chapter 4, the throne room of God, there's a sea of glass and the 24 elders and the throne and lightnings and thunders. I don't even know what it all means. But what I do know is God is big. 
Okay? And, and we're going to stand before him. And when we stand before him, we're going to see everything in light of how great he is and how big he is. And this is the God that we have full access to. This is the God that we're able to sit at his feet and enjoy his presence. We've got such a privilege as Christians and we, we don't even use it near enough. What a privilege we have. He, he's indescribable and he loves you. Imagine that. It's not just like he's this big God that's distant and not personal. He loves you and he wants relationship with you. It's all about relationship. Mary chose Mary chose to sit at his feet. Will you choose? Will you choose to take your issues, your problems, Tim? Even if you don't have problems here this morning, which is not likely. Will you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus? Jesus defended Mary because she chose that needful part. You know, love's love's deepest expression is devotion, not service. Deepest expression is devotion, not service. You see, God cares, and I I learned this the hard way on the mission field. God loves you, and he cares far more about the servant than he does the service. He could raise up a rock to do your job. He wants relationship with you. It's not about what we bring to the table. We have such a hard time just receiving the love of God. Because we always feel like we've got to work for it and earn it. And, oh, what I messed up. So I'm going to wake up at 5 in the morning all next week, Lord. And I'm going to read the Bible. Listen, it's not about works. You can't earn his favor or his love. You can't. And we fail to recognize that Jesus loves you at your worst the same as he does when he loves you, as he loves you at your best. His love doesn't change. He doesn't have a love like human beings. It doesn't waver. It's a perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. He's not in love with some future version of you either. Sometimes we think that way. Well, when I get a little bit more sanctified, he's going to love me a little more. No. He loves you the way you are now. Period. Period. To me, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. You know, I'm not the most theological guy. I call Adam all the time for Spain. Adam, where's that verse? You know, or, you know, he's like my Bible dictionary. But I'm not the most, I, you know, I'm not the most learned guy or whatever. I'm sure, you know, some of you know a whole lot more than I do. But let me tell you something: the mo- the greatest mystery in the Bible to me is the love of God. It's the love of God. We can talk about Calvinism, Arminianism, all this. Listen, the love of God is the most is, is the, the most insane mystery to me because I did nothing to deserve it. I can't do anything to deserve it. He just lavishes it on me. You know, I was driving in the car with my nephew, Aiden, um, and I remember driving to, to, to church with him, and he's in the back seat, and he was going through that stage, which I'm sure a lot of you guys you know, who have children or, or nephews or nieces, you, you know that stage when it's why about everything. It's like, Aiden, come here. Why? Aiden, go do that. Why? Aiden, you hungry? Why? It's like, that didn't even make sense. You know, but... but He's in the back seat, and everything I say is why. You know, it's why. Where are we going? We're going to church. Why? Um, because that's what I do on a Sunday morning. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Why? And I was full on stumped by a two year old. I don't really know how to describe to you this morning the love of God. I can't really, you know, it's like, what do I say? It's absolutely indescribable. The cross, I can point you to the cross, and that's where love was displayed in its truest form. 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we had nothing to bring to the table, he died for us. And why? He could have angels do our job like that, a lot better and more efficient, but because he wanted relationship, because he loves us with an undying and everlasting love. Mary chose the better. It's, it's relationship. The God of heaven loves us. He saved us. He talks to us. He guides us. He leads us. He blesses us. Christ went to the cross so we could have that access to him. You know, he, he's your dad. God is your dad, Christian. Galatians chapter 4 says he adopted us into his family. Okay, we're part of God's family. No matter where you're from, what color your skin is, we're part of his family. And we can call him dad. And who in the world, when you were a kid, went to your dad and was like, Oh, um, father, uh, how art thou doing? And you know, it's like, yeah, with an English accent. And, and no, we ran in the room. It's like, Daddy, you know. We love our dads. And that's the relationship God wants with us. He wants that relationship with us. You know, you... you Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to close with this. In Revelation chapter 2, um, I'm not, you don't have to turn there. The Apostle John was, was told by, by the Lord to, to write a letter to the seven churches. And the first church he wrote a letter to was the, was the church in Ephesus, if you remember. And that church in Ephesus, he, he had a lot of good things to say about them. They were, they were a good church. They were doing a lot of good things. And so he was commending them. Man, you guys are doing great in this area. You're doing great in that area. Good stuff. Good job. Attaboy. Great stuff. But, but, I have this one thing against you. You left your first love. You've left your first love. Do you remember when you first fell in love with the Lord? Because right after that, you know what he says in verse 5? He says, remember, Remember from where you've fallen. Remember from where you've fallen. Do, do you remember when you first fell in love with the Lord? How much you just desired to spend time with Him? Everywhere I went, I brought my Bible. Jesus was priority number one. He would go on to say, repent. Remember from where, which you've fallen. You left your first love. Repent. Turn around and do the things that you used to do. Do the things that you used to do. That was this whole last month and a half for me. Being here in California, this whole last month has been a time of me just being refreshed, refocused, getting my eyes back on Jesus. Crying out to Him, spending time with Him, taking walks with Him, telling Him that I love Him. That's relationship. That's what God wants. And that's what God desires. And yet so many churched people and unchurched people don't see things that way. They think about church. They think about religion. They think about do's and don'ts, checklists, can do this, can't do that. Give my money. Do good deeds. It's about relationship. If the Lord took away your job, He took away your ministry, he stripped you of everything, your family, everything. And you were laid bare before him. What would your relationship with God look like? What would it look like? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you fellowship? Do you do these kind of things? 
you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm actually really this time going to close with this. My, my niece and my nephew, they're good kids. I love my niece and my nephew. And I just got a new nephew as well. It's amazing. Um, they're good kids, and, and they, they do what they're told. You know, more so my nephew than my niece, but she's just so cute that you just, you know. But, but they do what they're told. You know, and she, she helps my mom my, her nanny clean up around the house. And they pick up after their, themselves when, when they're told to. Um, but you know what I love, being about an, love about being an uncle is I love when you come home and you open the front door and you hear the, the scampering upstairs and Jimmy's home, you know. And then there's the huggies and the ki- well, hugs and kisses. And, and you know, there's that, there's that relationship. I love when they're obedient. That's great. All that stuff is good. But I love the relational aspect of it. I love that love relationship you have. You know what bums me out about being an uncle? is when you get home and, and the Nintendo Wii is more interesting. When the cousins are over and they're, they're distracted with that. When, when the, the pool net, net's off the pool and they're in the pool and they're finding more enjoyment in the pool and everything is good. And, you know, they're kids and, you know, that's... But still... You just love when you get to come home and there's the embrace and there's the I love yous and all of this stuff. And you love that. But are we that way with God? Are we that way with God? How often are we like that with God? When we're more concerned with the latest post on Facebook than reading our Bibles. We're more consumed with our friends and hanging out with them, which is a good thing, but, but that we, we never spend time with the Lord. And he's desiring that. He's desiring that. And we neglect him and we only come to him when we need things or are in want of something. If you're a believer here this morning and you find that you've, you've given things priority over God, this morning is a great opportunity for you at the end of the missions week to, to get right, to do some business with the Lord to really to repent for putting other things before the Lord and making it a habit to spend time with Jesus even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it because we need him. We all have our issues and what we need to do is take it to that place that's needful, the feet of the Lord. But you know, the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 that I just spoke about, they didn't do that. They didn't go back to their first love and, and the Lord removed them. And today it's an Islamic country. It's, it's located in Turkey. They don't have time for Jesus there. If you're a non-believer, someone, what I mean by that, because sometimes you have to describe that because everybody in America says, I believe in God. You know, and it's, no, if you're a non-believer, you're somebody that doesn't, hasn't put your trust in the Lord, you don't follow the Lord, you don't have a relationship with God, this is time for you to do business as well. You're missing out on what you were created for. And you'll never know just how great it is to follow Jesus. You'll never know the joys, the fulfillment, and the satisfaction it is to follow Jesus until you submit and surrender your life to Him. It's the greatest thing you could ever do with your life. Period. So I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to let Adam come back up here. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word.